0: Welcome to the Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the field of psychology and mental health, with host Gabe Howard and co-host Vincent M. Wales. Hello,
1: everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Psych Central Show podcast. My name is Gabe Howard, and with me, as always, is Vincent M. Wales. And today, Vince and I will be talking with Katie Morton about toxic relationships, Katie is a licensed marriage and family therapist practicing in Santa Monica, California, but we like her because of her popular YouTube channel, which has hundreds of thousands of subscribers, and her videos about mental health have over 37 million views combined. Katie, welcome to the
2: show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yay. Well, yeah, you are very awesome, and we appreciate you very much. So let's just dive right in. Can you define toxic relationships?
2: Yes, I think often when we talk about toxic relationships, people believe that that means that the other person is the toxic one. And while that sometimes is the case, it's usually just a bad recipe. That's how I like to think of them. So a toxic relationship is just when you and another person just do not go well together. Either you bring out the worst in each other, or they're just the way that you interact just doesn't drive.
3: You know, we've had a guest on a couple of times that talks about narcissists. And that's kind of an extreme end of a toxic relationship. So you're saying that there are other kinds that are what you might just call mildly poisonous. Mildly poisonous, yeah. like that. <laughs>
2: exactly, like, have you ever had like a friendship where you just find yourself always fighting with the other person or like they just somehow always poke your button?
1: Mm-hmm. There's
2: a lot of that kind of thing where it's just, it's just not a good relationship. It's not a good recipe. It doesn't work well. It ends up being a lot more effort and work then maybe either of you is willing to give. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's like horribly terrible, you know, like a big blow up. It just means it doesn't work.
3: Gabe, maybe we should reconsider our partnership here because. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, let me ask you this. Let's say you start with a healthy relationship, everything is just peachy. Can it become toxic?
2: Yes, it can. Because as we know, we all change and grow. I mean, thank God we change and grow, but also it can be further worse sometimes or one member of the partnership or relationship can decide they want to go, you know, a different way Mm -hmm. or choosing a different path. And we can, then struggle to connect in the way we used to and you know if we aren't communicating clearly and seeking to understand one another it can slowly erode and become very toxic i agree with you i'm glad that people do evolve and grow
1: and learn different things because 20 year old gabe should not be on the earth anymore Uh, (laughs) replacing him with 40 year old gabe was was definitely best for everybody myself included I, I noticed though that, you know, Vin made the joke that, you know, our relationship may have turned toxic. And, and I, I know the audience is going to be devastated, but Vin and I are not a couple. <laughs> We're not romantically involved, but that does raise the It'd question be a shock to your wife, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah My <laughs> wife and your girlfriend would be stunned, but that does raise the question though. Can people be in a toxic relationship with non-romantic partners? and And by non-romantic, I don't mean friends with benefits. I mean, like can a friendship, a plutonic friendship, be toxic?
2: Oh, 100%. I even had one personally. I write about it in my book about how I had this friend that was like a black hole. She just sucked all the energy out of me. It was like she only got a hold of me when she needed something, when there was some big catastrophe going on and she wanted me to fix it or to talk her through it. And it was always very one-sided. And that was just a complete platonic friendship. But it got to the point where it was just so taxing on me that I would avoid her calls. I felt resentful when I would see a text. Um, And so yeah, you can have toxic relationships that have no romantic interest at all.
1: And I know you've mentioned a few, but what are some general signs that you're in a toxic relationship?
2: I think the basic signs are, like I just mentioned, if you find yourself like resenting them or avoiding them in general, that's usually a sign. If it's one-sided, if there's no balance and Trust me, I know every relationship is going to go through these ebbs and flows, right? Some person in the relationship might be, maybe they lost a loved one, so they're just really going through a tough time. We're going to have that. That's normal. But if that's the constant and that's always the case, then that's not going to work out. Relationships need to have some sort of balance. Also, if there's any abuse at all, I mean, I know that that kind of goes without saying, but a lot of times people don't recognize when abuse is happening. If you're being, you know, manipulated in any way, whether they're, maybe they're, controlling your money or they're withholding sex as a way to manipulate you to get you to do certain things like anything like that those are just some basic red flags to look out for
3: right so are there different types of toxic relationships
2: yes i believe so there's there's quite a few but the most common that i see are when someone's really enmeshed if there's a lack of independence in a relationship this could be friendships or romantic relationships, but anybody who wants to know where you are all the time calls the term, texts incessantly, asking you what you're doing and who you're with. Um, I know that that can sound like jealousy, but it's more about the enmeshment and the fact that they don't feel able to make decisions without you or you don't feel feel able to make decisions without them. If there's no separation, that's really, really unhealthy and I believe becomes a toxic relationship if we don't nip it in the bud.
1: It's interesting that you say that wanting to know where somebody is all the time, texting too much, uh, you know, things of this could be signs of a toxic relationship because our entire society is set up to monitor what everybody is doing. I know. I I know when my mother gets her hair done and she lives (laughs) 700 miles away from me, but it's because she checks in (laughs) via social media. You know, getting my hair done, here's my before and after picture. I am not stalking my mother, but I I know her day to day routine isn't this just where we are as a society?
2: I mean, social media definitely plays into it and can lend itself to people sharing all of the information. But this is more about when it comes to the relationship itself. This isn't stuff that people put out there, you know, in social media so that you just know. This is when the person in the relationship is going to constantly ask you and needs to know. And like the other thing I mentioned that I think is important is if, if you or the other person doesn't feel comfortable making a de- decision without them. And these are decisions that are going to affect them necessarily. These are things that could only affect you, but because you're so enmeshed and you don't have any independence, you don't feel you know, confident enough to make a decision for yourself.
1: So like in the example that I used about my mom, It would be a toxic relationship if I demanded that my mother get the haircut that I want or send me the options and I'll pick for her or if she would refuse to get her hair done without me going with her for fear that I would become angry at her choice or something along those lines. Yes, exactly. It's not the act of me knowing, uh, it's the act of me participating to an unhealthy degree.
2: Exactly. And neither of you having like a healthy independence. Because, yeah, I know relationships, we can feel close. We want to know where people are for safety's sake often. But when it gets to the point where we don't have any healthy independence or feel any ability to do what we want to do, that's when it becomes a bad thing. Do You
1: know what I mean? I do know what you mean. You started to talk about abusive relationships. Now, I think that many people, when they think of abusive relationship, they think one person hitting or striking or, or just violence on another person. But that's that's not the only way to abuse somebody.
2: No, and it's actually not even the most common. Emotional abuse is much more common than actual physical abuse. And emotional abuse is kind of like what I alluded to earlier, like controlling someone's money. You'd be surprised how many people are in marriages or relationships where the person tells them what they can and cannot spend money on. And I know that that sounds kind of silly, and people often, you know, brush it under the rug and say, oh, it's not that big of a deal, and I don't really have a problem with that. But again, it goes back to that like healthy independence and with each member in the relationship. And if they're controlling a certain part of your life, that can be abusive. Now, is this
3: a learned behavior? And if it is, where are people learning this?
2: I do think that abusive behaviors are something that can be learned, whether it's we already grew up in a household where abuse was happening, like emotional abuse or physical abuse. We often don't know another way to show or receive love because that's where we learn it is from our parents or whoever our primary caregivers are. And even I think that when we are struggling ourselves, if we don't work to, I know this sounds really therapisty, but I can't help myself. <laughs> it's like, if we don't search out better ways to manage all we feel and all we've been through, kind of like in the therapist realm, I would say, you know, if we haven't taken time to process through all the stuff we've been through in our life, then it can leak out into others and we can you know, in essence, create toxic relationships because we're not in a healthy place to begin with. Does that make sense? Kind of like we're not building from a healthy foundation. So we don't even know how to healthfully communicate because it's possible that the emotional abuse we could be putting onto someone else is really just us crying out for help saying, I need more support. I don't know how to get to tell you that I need you. So I'm just going to kind of force you to be with me.
3: A lot of it comes from insecurity.
2: Yes, 100%.
1: I agree. It almost sounds like and I, I hate to use this example on adults, but, you know, it's like when a five-year-old says, I hate you and I want you to go away. They're just testing to make sure that you're going to stay. Now, when you're five, that's that's understandable. You're five and you don't know mm-hmm. how to. Hopefully, you have uh, good adults in your life that say, you know, telling somebody you hate them and go away is not the best way to have them prove that you're in a trusting and stable relationship. But, we, you know, we have 25-year-olds that are doing this because they, they never learned better.
2: Yeah, because no one was there to say it's okay or this is not the way to communicate, but I will be back, okay? You know, and kind of that reassurance that builds a healthy self-confidence and self-assurance.
1: We're going to step away to hear from our sponsor. We'll be right back.
0: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com.
1: we're here talking about toxic relationships with Katie Morton. You have a new book coming out. It's called Are You Okay? And the first question that I have to ask is you spell "you" with the letter U, which which makes yeah. me cringe because <laughs> you're, you're supposed to spell out Y-O-U. <laughs> Can you talk about that for a moment? Let, let's talk about the title, not, not the content.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually, it's funny that you wanted the U spelled out because I initially pitched it with just the letter R. So that probably would have made you feel a good <laughs> <laughs>
3: No, that would have actually been better in my opinion. No. <laughs> well, yeah, because if you're going to do
1: it, do it the whole way, right? Just have the book be titled Ruach. You know, that's... that's good. <laughs> with Ruach exactly I I, I like the the name of the book I I understand where it comes from and how it ties in and and language is constantly evolving and and even I have to admit that that's a good thing or we'd all be talking in you know 14th century British English and you you know that's just the most annoying version of English in my opinion (laughs) so but the 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 book is about these toxic relationships and how they go and everything that we've been discussing and it's Is it a big book? I mean, it seems like this thing would need to be 20,000 pages to properly cover it all.
2: It's actually not that long. I think it's around 250 pages. I forget the exact um, number of pages, but the whole book is essentially a mental health 101 guide. So I obviously get into relationships, toxic relationships and the red flags and ways to communicate more clearly because I truly believe that communication can solve like 90% of our problems I agree. when it comes to, you know, relationship building and mental health, but the first portion of the book, before I even get into relationships, is, is just where to start. How do you know if you need help? What are the different mental health professionals? How, what does therapy look like? Because I think for, at least in my experience being online for seven years, the thing that I have learned over and over is that people just don't know what they don't know, which I know sounds silly and obvious, but it's like people don't understand what therapy even looks like because nobody even knows how to ask. And right. people don't know what's the difference between mental health and mental illness because people use the words interchangeably and no one's really coming out and talking about it in a real way.
1: That is the bane of my existence. Yes. Yes. Yeah. People ask me like, how long have you had mental health since I was born? Yeah, my whole <laughs> life. Yeah. <laughs> when like, like, oh, you're see? born with no. it? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody is. It's, it's mental health. I was also born with physical health.
2: <laughs> yeah. And they should be treated the same. You know, I mean, not the same when it comes to treatment but you should consider them the same you know we get physicals we go to checkups I go to my dermatologist to make sure that this woman wasn't cancerous we should be doing all of those types of things for our mental health and we just as a society we're getting there but we're just not there yet people talk about it and think about it totally differently
3: absolutely
1: I agree completely one of the things that you said uh, earlier is that you've been online for seven years and I know what it's like to, to live online, not, not to the tune of 37 million people, but I've probably got at least 37. <laughs> and all jokes aside, though, you don't share a lot of like personal information. And, and I don't, I mean, you share a lot of great information and, and you're very giving of your, of your knowledge. But in this book, you sort of share some more personal stories. You you come out a little more to why you've you know, chosen this line of work and, and how it relates to you. Why did you make that choice, and was it difficult? Because it's it's new for you.
2: Yeah, it is new, and I think it's probably just the therapist in me because we're trained to not share about ourselves really as much at all, unless we think it's going to aid in our patient's right. you know process. And so I think just out of the fact that I do have a mental health channel, I think that was just kind of it, lended itself to that. But when it came to the book, I felt like reading a book is such a or at least as an avid reader it's a much more intimate thing I don't know why that is but I think it's because it lives in our own head you know mm-hmm. it's something about reading that is just I felt like it it was one of those opportunities where I felt it would give more to the reader if I had personal stories to share in the same way kind of relating it to therapy where I would only share if I thought it would benefit the patient I thought that it potentially could benefit the reader more versus it only being stories from my audience or from my, you know, work that I've done.
3: Well, as a writer, I've got to agree with you that, that books are more intimate than TV, movies, podcasts, what have you, uh, because you're more actively involved. You know, these other things are passive, completely passive. And when you're reading, you are putting yourself into it as well. So thanks for saying that.
2: Yeah, no, and it was hard for me to do, though, to finish, I guess, to answer the last question. It was hard for me to make the decision to put personal stories. But because, I mean, I've done my own work in therapy for many, many years off and on. And I think I chose, I was very particular about the stories that I chose so that I knew that I wasn't going to feel like I put too much out there. Does that make sense? Because you can't take mm-hmm. it back. Right. So. Very much so, right. yes.
3: All right, so let's say you're a person who thinks that you might be with a person who is toxic, what do you do?
2: First, talk to them, communicate. Like I said earlier, I think communication is just such a key to healing anything in our life, any relationship. Obviously, the only communicate if it's safe. I mean, I say that in the book a lot. Like if it's abusive or if anything, if you worry for any amount of your safety, emotional, physical, whatever, do not. That's not going to be the best thing. In that case, the first step would be getting help yourself but i think try to communicate with the ones that we love and if something is upsetting you if you feel like they're trying to control you in some way practice what you want to say ahead of time and make sure it's, there's no blaming like in the book i give kind of the most common communication blunders and how to make sure we don't do it which you know no blaming no keeping a laundry list of the things you've done and keeping track you know we've all had people who've done that well i did this for you and you know or you paid for that but i need to pay for this like just don't keep track and so i go through kind of the things that you should try to avoid and just try to communicate what you feel is going on and why it's upsetting to you and then try to move forward and hopefully if it's if it is a healthy relationship or it can be turned around And the only way it can be turned around by the way is if both parties want to make it work one person cannot work hard enough for both just throwing that out there
1: Mhm. makes perfect sense
2: yeah because you know otherwise a lot of people think they can love enough give enough for both, and you just cannot, it's not possible. And so if you communicate and you both decide to work on it, then it can get better.
1: I've noticed that when you answer all of these questions, it's about the other person being the abusive one, the toxic one, or causing the problems and how to handle them. But what if you're the toxic person? I mean, what if you have the awareness to realize that you're the toxic person? What then?
2: Well, I mean, and that's awesome if you do realize it, because a lot of people, I find, aren't as self-aware or it can take us a lot longer to come around and admit that we are part of the problem, which in most relationships, toxic or not, it takes two people. It's a, like I said, it's a bad recipe. And so I think if you do have the awareness to recognize that the things you're doing in your relationship aren't making things better and they're actually making it worse and you might be the one that's toxic, you should see someone, like see a mental health professional because usually... I don't know, like, let's say 90% of the time, I would estimate when people are doing things that are toxic in their relationships, it's because something else is going on. And they just don't know how to communicate, they don't know how to cope. And they're, you know, that's seeping into the relationships that they have.
3: So how do we overcome a toxic relationship?
2: So first, we can start with like, what if you're in a toxic relationship, and you both decide to work on it. I think just being aware that all relationships take work. And if you both are continuing to put the effort in and recognize your faults because both of you have faults, it's never just one sided, um, then it will get better and it will grow. But we have to continue putting the effort in. This isn't just something that you do once and forget about it. And so, if that's the case, just keep working on it, keep communicating. That could be, you know, if it is a romantic relationship, that could be couples counseling. It could just be having a time each week where you get together and you communicate clearly and talk about things. And this upset me, and this is why, and you have like a debriefing. Some people do that, especially in friendships. Um, but then, let's say you've been in a really terrible relationship and you've ended it, and it, it was too toxic, and they weren't going to work on it, or you weren't able to, or whatever. I think the the best thing we can do, even personally, I'll I'll say, is being in therapy, because we I'm sure everybody can agree that often with our friends and family, it's like the blind leading the blind, mm-hmm. like they don't know any better either. And <laughs> so, and even some of my friends, when I will say yeah, this happened. And, you know, I was just really upset. And they're like, she's such a jerk. I never liked her anyway. And they don't really <laughs> offer any help. They're they're your buddy, right? They're in, in right. it with you, but they're right. not offering any assistance.
1: <laughs> They've got your back, but that just means they're agreeing with whatever preconceived notion you came in with, because that's, that's exactly. kind of what we want from our friends.
2: Totally. And that's why friends are helpful, but it's not enough. And so if you find yourself still struggling or you, let's say you've been in two or three back-to-back toxic relationships, that tells us something, right? That's like a little red flag of our own to say, hey, maybe I should do some work on myself so that I don't continue this pattern. Because we all do have the power to change. I mean, that's what my whole, uh, everything I've done in my career is all about, is the ability to change and grow. Yay! And so (laughs) if you get into therapy, (laughs) you start working on yourself, then we can prevent that pattern of unhealthy relationships from continuing. That is very cool. Katie,
1: Katie, thank you so much. I have one last question before we find out where to find the book and where to find you. And that's, what's your hope for this book? What do you hope that people get out of it? When you, when you sat down on day one to write it, what what was your end game?
2: I think my hope is that it gives people a resource to empower them to make educated decisions about their mental health. I think that there's so much pop psychology out there or just, information for clinicians, for mental health professionals themselves. And I hope that this book reaches people where they're at and it's easy to digest and understand. All of the writing is very simple. There's no, what I call like hokey pajoke therapist talk. There's none of that. It's all, you know, hopefully very relatable and common language so that people can get the help they need when they need it. most.
1: Fantastic. Hokey pokey is now my new favorite <laughs> term. <laughs> You may see that in an upcoming video by me. I will I will Perfect. give you credit, I promise.
3: <laughs> Feel
2: free to use it. I think it's a good one. Awesome. <laughs>
3: Thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> all right, Katie, tell our listeners where they can find you online, including your book.
2: Yeah, my YouTube channel and all of my socials are Katie Morton, just K-A-T-I-M-O-R-T-O-N. Find me online on Twitter, on YouTube, everything. And then as far as the book, Are You Okay? A Guide to Caring for your Mental Health, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble,
1: or wherever books are sold. Excellent. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you everyone else for tuning in. And remember, you can get one week of free, convenient, affordable, and private online counseling anytime, anywhere by visiting betterhelp.com slash psychcentral. We will see everyone next week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Psych Central Show. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you found this podcast. We encourage you to share our show on social media and with friends and family. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com show. Psychcentral.com is the internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website. Psych Central is overseen by Dr. John Grohall, a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. Our host, Gabe Howard, is an award-winning writer and speaker who travels nationally.